Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, it is so good to be back after a three-week hiatus, uh, and uh, you know it was supposed to only be two weeks, but uh, those of you probably have found out by now, my my dad passed away, and that was unexpected at the time. Uh, so uh, we did miss uh, that Wednesday going into vacation. So it's actually been three Wednesdays since we were here, and I hope a lot of you use that time to go back and pick up uh, archives that you may have missed uh, from uh, Bible studies past. Now, if you're hearing me say that, and you're like, "What?" you talking about? Well, uh, this Bible study's been going for a decade now. Uh, we've covered many books of the Bible, many uh, books that have been authored by uh, great authors uh, in men's ministry. We've walked through some of those, their commentaries. You can find all those Bible studies. We have some that are standalone Bible studies that just talk about one particular topic. You can find all those by going to themanchurch.com. And you'll see the media button, and once you uh, put uh, your cursor there, you can either watch the archives off of the YouTube channel, or you can listen to them uh, from the podcast archives. Uh, they're all there. Right now, we're in 2 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're walking through uh, this letter from Paul. I'm going to update you on a few things. Uh, you heard me mention that my father did pass away, and uh, we had a memorial service for him. Um, if you would like to watch that, uh, you can. Uh, by simply going to uh, rickandbubba.com and looking show notes uh, for today. You'll see that, or you can go to YouTube and search Valleydale Church, and you can find the archive there. Uh, So it was a very powerful time uh, away, uh, and we had people come to know Christ there at that memorial service and and, uh, just continue to celebrate uh, uh, a life well-lived and uh, the impact um, of of my dad. I just uh, am so thankful to God. Uh, to have him as a dad and look forward to the day we'll be reunited. So let's talk about what's going on with themanchurch.com. If you're not familiar with us, themanchurch.com, this Bible study is about, you know, not just uh, challenging men, but then these Bible studies are like actually discipling, equipping men. And that that's one thing that's been missing from men's ministry or it hasn't been done very well. So we committed to that. Do we do services? Yes. Do we do conferences? Yes. I'm going to talk about that. But but the main focus is providing that, that, that piece that is often missing, and that is curriculum designed for men. We have four 40-week curricula, and you can find those by going to themanchurch.com. We'll have a fifth one coming out this spring. Uh, but those are available to you. We also have individual resources uh, that are available to for individual men. We have a new one coming out this year as well. It's going to be a 31-day devotional called Sin Always Matters. But we have others that uh, that are available to you now at themanchurch.com. If you would like for us to help you plug in to your community or your church, we're here to help you. Now, I'm going to tell you some man churches that are going on. Rick, what is a man church? It's a new year. It's a new day. You might be here. A man church is a service. It's just, you know, might be your prayer breakfast. It might be a service designed for the men. It might be your wild game feast or whatever it may be. Men are gathering. Uh, so we provide speakers for that. Uh, and we've got some of those uh, going on this week. As a matter of fact, Sunday night on January the 7th in Clanton, Alabama, Liberty Hill uh, Baptist Church, uh, Lance Ingram will be there, and they're kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. On the 11th of January, year two in Dothan, Alabama, I'll be speaking at Ridgecrest. Ridgecrest Baptist, this is their second year, so I'll plug them into the next curriculum there. And then uh, Kevin Derryberry, also on January the 11th, will be at Hope Hull uh, Community Church in Hope Hull, Alabama. Kevin Derryberry will lead worship and will be doing the message there. February the 8th, Todd Jones will be at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama. They're in year five with us. They've been here from the very beginning. 
So you can you can be there with them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, coming up on February 16th and 17th, we do conferences. That's the Man Church Conference. It'll be in Birmingham, two of them this year. Birmingham, I'll have Robbie Gallaty. Uh, also have, I'll be speaking, Rich Wingo, Andy Blanks, and Chuck Hooten doing worship. That's February 16th and 17th. The Wright Center, Sanford University. Tickets are still available, but they're almost gone. So if you want to be with us in Birmingham, grab those now. Then our other Man Church Conference is coming up in Startville, Mississippi. Uh, it'll be uh, on the campus of Mississippi State University on March 8th and 9th. Granger Smith will be speaking. James Spann will be speaking. Scott Dawson, Andy Blanks, and I'll be speaking. And Chuck Hooten will be providing worship there, too. Those tickets are all on sale at themanchurch.com. You go there and just click on that. You'll see the logo of those two conferences and get your tickets and be with us coming up this year. There's other man churches and other things that you can follow by going to themanchurch.com. It's all there. So let's open in a word of prayer. Let's jump into our ongoing study of 2 Corinthians. Lord, thank you for today. May your grace and mercy be upon us. Guide us, Lord Jesus, as we walk through your holy word and apply it to our lives today. Today, it's all. It just seems like uh, through your power, no matter when we read these words, it's like they were written yesterday. Today will be no exception. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So let's look at what's going on. You may not even remember since it's been three weeks ago uh, when we, uh, we, we got a little bit into chapter 4. Uh, and we got through verses 1 and 2. But, but we're going to start in verse 3 today. Our goal is to get to verse 18. And I think we can get there. Uh, so we, we, we've given you the background on this letter. If you missed that, uh, this is a second letter that Paul had written to a church in, in Corinth. Um, it, 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 don't look at it like this is just the, the second letter after 1 Corinthians. We actually think it's not. It's the, it's the second letter that we actually have. The, there's, a, there's another letter that he's referencing that we have never been able to find. We don't, we don't know where it is. Uh, but, uh, but Paul uh, apparently uh, you know, had, had, had visited the church, had, had, had sent a letter about dealing with some things in the church, had sent a second letter, and, and, and was going to visit again, but after the second letter, uh, things got kind of intense. He decided not to go. He drew some flack for that, which we've talked about, and he, he's answered all that. Um, and, uh, and then this is a letter he's talking about referencing changing his plans to visit and referencing a letter that we don't know where it is. So that, that's kind of the background uh, on this letter. Now, he's, gonna, he's, he's, he's had to, to defend himself quite a bit. Uh, inside the church, you had these different factions. He dealt with his first letter, which we've studied. We have the archives for that if you want to go back and get it. He dealt with the factions involving different teachers. You know, there were people that thought that Peter was the only person they should hear from. There were some that thought that Paul was the only person they should hear from. Others liked Apollos, and he dealt with that in 1 Corinthians. So you had some of those factions, but there's also a faction of of, of uh, uh, the still Jewish people who are clinging to the old Jewish law and customs, uh, they don't like that Paul has been called to bring the Gentiles into the church, and and they they give him a hard time. He's he's had persecution from uh, from various people because of that. Uh, so all that's going on. Uh, there's there's quite the dynamic, and he also is getting some flack because he's called some people out for living in open sin. And some people appreciated that. Other people did not. So so uh, it's like it was written yesterday, as I mentioned. So some of the same problems still exist today. So let's start in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4, and we let's listen to the Apostle Paul. 
because he he's already uh, said, look, we're just shooting you straight on the gospel. Uh, we're not we don't have any cunning practices, and we're not changing the gospel. We're not we're not salespeople selling a product. And then he's going to take on the fact that some people aren't receiving the gospel. Why is that? And we we can encounter that. I can talk about that in my own life. I remember a time when the gospel was being preached to me, and I wouldn't hear it. Uh, does that mean that the gospel is somehow inept? Does it mean the gospel lacks, uh, lacks power? Of course not. What could it possibly mean? And so here's what Paul says. He talks about that. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, or veiled, it's under a veil, there's something covering it, it, it it's veiled only to those who are perishing. And I'm going to tell you what he means there. Now, four. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he's saying, look, those who are rejecting the true gospel, they're blinded by who? They're blinded by Satan. They're they're, they're blinded by Satan because he refers to him as the God of this world. Remember what we've been trying to drive home. And and I and I, I I'm going to kind of carry this message into 2024. It, it seems like there's themes every year of my life that God says, "Look, I really want to deal with that. I want you. I want to deal with this in your life, and I want you to deal with it in your teachings." And the one that seems to really be on me right now is taking away this notion that there's some third option of either being a child of God or being a child of the devil. And we go, "No, it can't be just be those two options. There's a third option in there somewhere." I'm 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 not quite a child of God, but I'm certainly not a child of the devil. And I believed enough that I think I'm okay, though I'm not really obedient to it. And and unfortunately, Scripture does not offer that option. That's an option that we as human beings have come up with that doesn't exist. And I was a huge offender on that at one point of my life when I believed that false doctrine as well. And so he's saying, if if they're not receiving the gospel then because of their devotion to Satan and they're rejecting the gospel. It doesn't mean the gospel's lacking. It doesn't mean we aren't teaching it correctly. They're the problem. Remember, we, we've said this before. If you and I are not right with God and we're not right with him through Jesus, Jesus isn't the problem. We're the problem. There's something wrong with our relationship with the only one who can reconcile us back to a holy and perfect God. We're the problem. Jesus isn't the problem. We're the problem. And he says, so what the problem is with these people is their true God is Satan. He's the God of this world uh, because the gospel has power. The gospel is true. And he's going now back to what he said in verses 1 and 2. So don't start pressuring me. Listen to this. See if this doesn't sound like today. Don't start pressuring me that I somehow have to make the gospel more palatable. I, I don't need a new marketing plan. The marketing of the gospel is not the problem. The problem is these people are rejecting it, not rejecting it, not because we're not marketing it right, not because we're not trying to make it more palatable. They're rejecting it because they belong to the devil. You do realize that if we reject the gospel, that's really what that means. It's not the gospel that's lacking. It's it, we're the ones who are lacking. And he says those that are rejecting it, they're going to reject it to their own peril. There is no other way to be redeemed. The prince of this world covers us with so much darkness, we fail to see the light of the gospel. That's what he's saying. You can be so immersed in the devil that the light of the gospel is so dim, you can't even see it because you're so dark. 
And he said, that's really what we're dealing with. And I've been there. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I've been there. I was so immersed in, in Satan and so immersed in sin and so immersed in the world, I, didn't, I, I couldn't even hear the gospel. I understood it. That's the sad part. It's not that I didn't understand it. I just didn't want it because I knew it was going to cost me sin, and sin I preferred over the gospel, right? And I'm sure I'm the only one, but I, but I, but I, I have been there. I, and I have lived that, and I realize now how stupid that was. Why? Because I now have experienced the gospel. But until I did, I didn't understand how much better the gospel was than sin because I was clinging what? To what I know, and I wasn't willing to look into what I didn't know. And also this, what he's saying, too, is I think we need to all be very leery of this. Okay, so I've mentioned this before, I think, in Bible studies past, but it's been so long ago it's worth mentioning again, especially those of us that live in the Western world. Be very, very careful, Rick. Been there. Okay, hear me out. It always starts with me and then goes out. There's a lot of things, brothers and sisters who are watching, and we know you're out there, and that's fine. Listen. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of things that you and I have been convinced by the devil are our sinful flesh that is a blessing, and it's nothing but a distraction. Amen. It is not a blessing. Now, we call it a blessing because we want it to be one, but it's not. And, and I've, I've had to work through some of that in my life about getting rid of some things I was calling blessings that really turned out to be distractions from the gospel. And, and what is that? You know, I, I do, those of you who may not know this, I do for a living um, a, a radio show, which, of course, now that includes streaming and all that goes with that is we're all trying to figure all that out. But, uh, but th- the bottom line is, have you ever had something that interfered with the signal? There, 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 was, there was distortion you, you, you know, when, when, when the days of, of FM radio, when it started, and of course now that's becoming a byproduct too through all the streaming, but FM radio, what was good about it is it was a much stronger signal, but what was bad about it is it was directional, which meaning if, if something got between you and the signal, it, it, there, there, there was static, there was distortion. That's what he's talking about. You, you, can be, you can have so much distortion in your life that the devil or your sinful nature keeps placing that when the gospel is being preached to you as clear as a bell, you still can't hear it because of all the distortion. And he said, and, and what's happening is people who are dying and people who live with the devil, they don't want to hear the gospel. And he, he wants them to understand that it's not because the gospel's not being preached. Now look at this. Then he gets to, 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 to verse 5, and this is important. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He says we're not preaching ourselves. We are preaching Jesus. Now, that, now why is that important? Because if you're not careful with some of the teachers today, which Paul's saying he's not one of them, if you're not careful, you're not hearing someone preaching Jesus. You're hearing them preaching their notions, their opinions. Uh, like I say, a young brother in my life said it one day as good as I've ever heard it. He said, I've, I've noticed that there's a lot of so-called teachers out there right now, and of course they have access to tens of thousands of people, sometimes hundreds of thousands, because of all the platforms now. We're doing one right now. We're using technology to reach. Um, we've got how many in the room? Maybe, what, 25, 30? Okay, but by the time this, this day is over, five, 6,000 people will be in this Bible study because of technology. So you can get access of a lot, to a lot of people pretty quick, okay? And, and so 
The problem with that is, and this young brother told me this, and, I, and it was so, so right. I remember the minute he said it, I thought, man, that's spot on. He said, the problem I've noticed right now is I can't tell the difference between some of these preachers, quotes, and a TED Talk. It sounds like they're just giving their opinion. I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything quoted from Scripture. I I hear them, you know, kind of broadly. Sometimes they'll they'll start like they're going to unpack the Bible, and, and but it, all of a sudden it doesn't stay expository. All of a sudden they'll veer off, and before you know it, they're pontificating all their notions, all their opinions, and all these things that nobody else has ever caught before. You know, that's what that one thing I, you've heard me caution before on. Anytime you be careful, sometimes of teachers are hymn writers, worship song writers, that they want to show you that they want to say something in a way that's never been said before. Sometimes there's a reason it's never been said before because it's not theologically sound. That's why it's never been said before. You're not cutting edge by saying it this way. You're saying it wrong. Okay, so so it's we're not we're not trying to to find a way to be provocative. We're just trying to preach the truth. Now, I think the truth is provocative, but some people think they got to come up with something to shock you or something you never knew before. And the reason you never knew it is because it never was true. <laughs> it's not because they're deeper than you are. It's because it doesn't exist. Okay, It's their own notion. And so what Paul is saying, so don't get just in this that Paul's saying, I'm not preaching Paul. There's some truth to that. But what he really wants you to know is, I'm not preaching my opinion. We're not preaching our opinions. We're preaching Jesus. We're preaching uh, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, so it, it's, not, it's not my opinion. And that's one thing I want us all to learn, okay, where you can really mess up and, and is, is when you say something like this. And be careful of this. And I've been guilty of it too, but I want you to be careful because we're all trying to learn in here, okay, and out there. Be real careful saying the term, I believe. I believe this or I believe that. No, say the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Jesus said this. God said that. I'll be honest with you. I'm so flawed. If it doesn't harm me and you're not doing anything bad to me, I honestly, by my standards, I don't care what you do. The things that I oppose, I oppose them not because I've come up with it. I oppose them because God has spoke on it. And I always make that very clear. You know, you, if you're in conflict with the truth, then you're in conflict with God, not Rick. All I'm doing is just pointing out what God said, and that's what Paul's saying. Look, that's all I'm doing. I'm preaching Jesus. Uh, it, I, I, you shouldn't really care what I think about it. Matter of fact, you should be concerned if that's all I'm going to give you. So then six, he says what? He moves into the next thing. He says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this because Paul's a good writer. He, I mean, he, he, he is a beautiful writer, and, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Paul has some individual talent that came from God, and the way he writes is quite beautiful. And, and, and what he's saying here is the light of the gospel, Jesus, is superior to the very light of creation. He said, when God said, let there be light, that was big. But when he said, let there be my son, it was bigger. The light of Jesus Christ in the darkness of sin is a bigger deal than speaking light into creation. And that's beautiful. And he says, and if you want to know who that light is, that light is Jesus. It is superior to the light of creation. This is even bigger because you can go outside and you can stare at the sunshine all you want to. You can't be redeemed by it. And some people worship it. 
Uh, but 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 worshiping creation is not the way to go. Worship the Creator. That's the way to go. Who spoke all this into existence? So the light of Jesus is superior to the light of creation. And he said, and that's what we're trying to point out. The, the, the light of creation cannot illuminate sin. It can't redeem you. It can't reconcile you back to a holy God. But Jesus can. Verse 7, back to making sure you understand that listening to human beings is not going to carry you very far. He says in verse 7, and you're probably familiar with these words. Uh, these, these are pretty familiar out of Scripture. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We can't preach ourselves. Why? Because we're just a bunch of pitiful earth vessels. That's all we are. I mean, we, we, we are, it, it, it's, we're, we can tell you about the treasure, but we're not the treasure. We can point you to the treasure, but we're not the treasure. We can point you to redemption, but we can't redeem you. We're, we're nothing but jars of clay. We're, we're, we're pathetic vessels that, that, that are actually housing an incredible treasure. The only thing good about redeemed people is the Redeemer. The only thing good about Jesus' followers is Jesus. And, and, and I, I, I was just thinking about that. Sherry and I were talking about this getting ready for the new year, and we were discussing the fact of how no matter how hard we try, as long as we're in, Paul talks about this in Romans 7, as long as we're in these earth jars of clay, you just continue to be frustrated about the failures of your flesh. You, you just can't quite get it right. But Jesus can but Jesus can. You know, you, you ever just look at yourself and go, I cannot believe I've made that mistake again. I, I know better. I know the truth. I, I, I could see the road I was on. And what I'm trying to do now, and it really has helped, is, and I've done this with a lot of the areas in my life that God is cleaning up, is I try to see myself beyond the, the act. The way I'm going to feel on the other side of it, as opposed to what you're doing right now. Like if you're really wanting to go off on somebody and really let them have it, and you're thinking to yourself, you're not really in control right now. You might want to tone it down. It's okay to be righteous in your anger, but it's not okay just to be angry because of your pride. And if you'll sit there and think to yourself, you know what? If I continue in this road, I'm going to have to call this person and apologize in a few days. So why don't I just not do it? I see myself with that call. I see myself dreading that apology. I see myself feeling bad that I did that. You know, just like the same thing with the garbage we put in front of our eyes and the things we put in front of our ears. Why don't you? Why don't we just start picturing how we're going to feel after that's over and we go, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know why in the world I watched that. That was garbage. Why in the world was I watching that? I knew better than to watch that. I could see the way it was going. I should have just cut it off. And 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 so what, what he's saying is it's got to be something better than these pathetic jars of clay. And uh, it, it's the treasure itself. It's not what houses the treasure. And then we get into a topic that Paul is very well versed on, and you'll see before we're done with this letter, he wants you to know that he, does, he knows what he's talking about. My, um, my wife has talked about this. You've heard me mention her so many times uh, in these Bible studies, and there have been many times when we've seen someone who is new to the faith or there's someone who's really being used by God in the faith, but, but maybe they're, they're, they're new to this whole 
uh, plight of, of being a follower of Christ, and, and they've got some gifts and they've got some talents, but you haven't quite heard that tone yet from them that comes only from suffering. You have heard me say before, my wife has literally nudged me before going, this person is really going to be something once they suffer. You, you can see how they're going to be used. But, but there's a tone that comes with suffering, and Paul certainly had it because he suffered. Listen to what he says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. I mean, just, just, just simmer on that a minute. But I'm going to ask you to simmer in a little bit of a different way. Okay? Y'all good with this? Y'all good with Paul saying this is going to be your life? Amen. You, are you, or do you kind of shy away and go, I don't know if that's for me. I want you to listen. This is a devout follower of Jesus who was given the entire ministry of the Gentiles. Okay, it's, it's, it's debatably, but, but debate, debatably the greatest Christian, the greatest follower of Jesus, if you look at the, the body of work that he put out and all the things that God accomplished through him, he's certainly in the top echelon. You know what he said? This didn't do anything but bring me trouble. But if but but when, when it brought me trouble, the way that I responded to the trouble proved that I was the real deal. It always does. And I know if you're like me, sometimes you just get nauseous thinking, I know that's what it takes. I wish I wasn't that way. People have you've heard me say before, you know, the things that, that I've encountered. Did any of that ever make you angry with God when your when your son died? You know, when your dad just had to go through Alzheimer's for, you know, seven, eight years and and the way he died. And you know, my response is always the same. No, I just hate I'm so sinful it takes that. I, I honestly I can't handle an easy life. I abuse it. I drift. It, it, it's pain and suffering that keeps me humble. It's pain and suffering that keeps me focused. It, it, God always puts me in situations where I don't have anywhere to go but to him because he knows, he knows me well enough that if he doesn't, I'll start leaning on myself. I always do. And, and, and so what Paul is saying is that when people see me in this suffering and they see me in this persecution, now, here comes a bigger line here, and this is the thing that we really got to think about. He said, all I do is it gives me an opportunity to glorify Jesus. I, I've, I've had people tell me straight up with a public platform. They've told me straight up. They, they have, every time they say, this was a moment that I realized that the faith that you claim is real, and you know every single one of them had to do with suffering. Never once has anybody come to me and said, you know, when I knew that Jesus was real to you, when you got a big contract, that's when I knew. 
When y'all went on that elaborate vacation that year, that's when I knew that you loved Jesus. Now, those things are fine if they're in their proper place and they can be blessings, and I'm thankful to God for them, but they don't really do anything to advance the gospel. They might do something to give me a rest. They might do something to give me a time of you know getting back on my feet. They may make life in certain situations easier, but they don't do much to advance the kingdom. Now, when I take what he's given me and give it to the advancement of the kingdom, that does. But when I spend it on myself, I appreciate it, and it certainly helps me as an individual sometimes. Or I might be able to give my parents or somebody a nice experience that they couldn't experience. And that's and there's, and there's a good in all that. But as far as people saying that's what brought me to Christ, never. It's always the difficulty in the way you respond because people are looking to see if it's real. And Paul knew that. And, and he said, you know, this is John 16, 33. He said, you know, when I'm afflicted, I'm not crushed. When I'm perplexed, I'm not driven to despair. That's important. Paul says, sometimes I get to places that I'm perplexed by the situation I'm in. And I'm wondering where God is and all that. But I never get to the place that I let the devil or my flesh take me to despair. I might be perplexed for a minute, but I don't go to despair. I might sit here and go, show me what you're doing, but I never say, where are you and what are you doing? And I'm not sure I can trust a God like you. I don't do that. I don't get to a place of despair, even when I'm perplexed. And, and, and he says that even when I'm being afflicted and I'm being persecuted, I'm never crushed because I'm clinging to what Jesus said. I'm clinging to Jesus saying, in this world there will be tribulation. I'm clinging to that. He told me that would happen. He told me to count the cost. He told me to deny self. He told me to pick up my cross. He told me all the things I must suffer for him. So I'm not in the dark on this. And it's difficult, but I don't ever lose my faith. He said, because I knew this was part of it. And I have noticed that when I don't lose my faith, guess what? People see Jesus. And they want it. And he says, and if it takes this to bring you to Christ, this is the part you want to consider, if it takes this to bring you to Christ, I'm in. Some of you have heard this before. When my wife wrote the book about what we went through with the death of our youngest son, the earthly death. And this is when Tucker Carlson was still a weekend guy on Fox. And he and two other people were interviewing us. I can't think of the other two people's names. And we're getting interviewed on Fox. And I'll never forget this about Sherry's release of her book. And once again, because of the show, we had some contacts there. And they're like, yeah, we want to hear this. But, you know, When she said that if one person has come to Christ because of the death of our two-and-a-half-year-old son, it was worth it. And I remember Tucker leaning and saying, what did you say? It's worth it. I know that reunion's coming. If this has been used to bring people to Jesus, then so be it. That child's life has some value. I know a lot of people live a long time. Their life's not of any value. All they've done is it's been about them, and they've squandered their whole life on earth. They've done nothing for the kingdom. And their life has not pointed anybody to Jesus. I'd take the two-and-a-half-year-old that did. So... So that, that's what Paul is trying to make not just these people to understand, but the fact that it, it made its way into the Bible. He's trying to tell us 
that it says that, look, what we have endured for the gospel, we are not only willing to endure, we are willing to be swallowed up in death in order to show the world true life. That's what he just said. And here's what I'd like to ask us. Are we? Are we willing to be swallowed up in death and difficulty and suffering if it will bring life to people? Or is any amount of discomfort you go, I'm out? Why do you think you don't see a lot of books about count the cost, deny self, pick up your cross, in this world you will face tribulation? You're not, you're not going to pack a church and sell books on, with those messages. But they're exactly what Jesus said. I mean, can you imagine sitting down with someone and saying, now look, here's the deal, because it's what Jesus said. What you've just experienced by repenting of your sin, leaving faith in yourself, and putting your faith in Jesus, he has now redeemed you because he knows the sincerity of your heart. I don't. But if you're sincere, let me tell you what that's going to mean. You will live in eternity in the presence of a holy God. And they go, that's fantastic. However, until then, your life just got harder. You're going to have to count the cost. It's going to cost you your sin. It's going to cost you a lot of pleasures, momentary pleasures. It's going to maybe cost you your job. It may cost you relationships. God may decide that you're going to suffer something so he can be glorified in order to make you humble. You're going to have to die to yourself, and you're going to have to place yourself wholly in him. Now, when you stand in glory, you're going to, you're going to feel ridiculous that you ever thought that was a big deal. But when it's a, as the days drag by, it's going to feel like a big deal sometimes. And you better keep that eternal focus and never lose faith and strain and press. I don't tell you how many times. I mean, look, I... I Sherry and I, if I'm being completely honest, Sherry and I have sat down and just kind of took a deep breath and have looked ahead and said, I guess we'll do another year if that's what he wants us to do. We're ready to go home. We've been ready to go home. You stand in a room and watch your daddy take his last breath after wandering around not knowing who he is and watching the fallen creation of this place. And you think to yourself, why are we clinging to this? which is exactly why he lets it happen. So we'll stop clinging to this place. What in the world are we clinging to? So uh, so the, the Paul makes that clear, 8 through 12, and then he's going he's gonna to go, he's going to say this. He's going to say, I want to show the world true life and that there's something more. And then he says, what is next? It's probably what you're wanting to know. Paul knows what we want to know. You know, we, we heard what he said, but don't you want to then pull him off to the side and go, how did you keep going? How did you keep going? What was it that kept you going? So he's going to tell us. In verses 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I have that underlined, verse 17. I would suggest you do as well. You might even want to underline that twice. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transit, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Verse 13, he says, I'll tell you how I hang on. Faith, power in the Holy Spirit. People of God have shown great perseverance. So you know what he says? Why not me? He's remembering all the heroes of the Bible. They showed great perseverance. Why not me? Think about that. Think about that. It, it, it would be like you know me claiming that I had the Holy Spirit in a bottle and I could sell it. And you looked ahead and you said, every single person that, that, that consumes this product, they seem to persevere through all affliction. And then you're holding it going, why not me? Wouldn't the same thing happen to me? Yeah, should. And if it's not, it may be because you don't have it. Have you ever thought about that? Why does this saint persevere and I'm not? Well, he doesn't have access to something that you and I don't have access to. We have access to the same exact thing. And that's all Paul's saying is, why are y'all surprised that we're persevering, persevering when so many people before us have also persevered? And that's the attitude we should take. He said, I just, I just look at what I already know. I have examples. I believed it, so I spoke it. You ever said that to anybody? Why are you telling me this? Because it's what I believe. Why do you believe it? Because I've seen the evidence of it. Paul is being quite elementary right here. He's writing it beautifully, but it's really see student Calhoun County stuff. Why do you speak it? Because I believe it. Why do you believe it? Because I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen it in others. I've seen it in myself. That's why I speak of it. And then what's the other one? What I just talked about. Verse 14. Hope of the resurrection. Hey, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise me from the dead. You know, that was one of the things I, I celebrate looking at my dad's body fall apart. I thought to myself as he took that last breath, and we were standing there with him because I, I, I know his character, and I know how he is with his family and with his wife, and I could see that his body was dying and he would not let go, and I wasn't going to say anything, and all of a sudden, uncontrollably, I guess by the power of, of, of the Holy Spirit, I said, go ahead and go, Dad. Everybody's fine. Mom's fine. We're going to take care of Mom. All your, all your children are adults. All your grandchildren are adults. You have great-grandchildren. There's plenty of us to take care of them. You've, 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 you've lived your life. Now you go. And he did. And the minute that he took that last breath on this side of eternity, I thought to myself, he's been made whole. He doesn't have Alzheimer's anymore. He's not wandering around not knowing where he is. He has been made whole, and he's now being reunited with the saints before him, and most importantly, being reunited with Jesus Christ who redeemed him, and then through then Jesus Christ, then the saints, and then those from our family that have gone before him. 
including a little two-and-a-half-year-old boy who I don't know what state he's in in eternity, but I know Dad's not complaining about it. So when you start thinking about that, you have to ask the question, if people were telling me to go on, can I go on because I know everything's taken care of? I've done what I'm supposed to do. I got news for you. I'm looking around this room. With the exception of these guys over here, we ain't got we ain't got a lot of time left. Amen. Okay, I'm looking you in the eye. Y'all old, okay, and so am I. Okay, so so that's what Paul is saying. So what he says that it's the hope of the resurrection, the power that raised Christ is going to raise us. That's what I keep saying. Y'all do realize that in the Trinity. I don't want to get overly complicated because I know, hang in there, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what raised Jesus from the dead. That's what we have. How can it have so little effect? So it raised Jesus from the dead, but it can't change us. Come on now. Come on now. That's back to, you've got access to it, but you've got to access it. You know, I can pull it, I can take my truck and go park it down there next to the gas pump and I can sit there all day long and go, why is my tank not full? Because I got to get out and put the nozzle in and squeeze it. Amen. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, now 15. So he says, first of all, we have faith in the Holy Spirit. We have faith in the people of God we've seen before us. We have hope in the resurrection. And then 15, he says, the consideration of the glory of God and the benefit of the church, God is glorified by our response to suffering, and you, the church, should be strengthened. That drives me. Everybody's watching. I want want you to be inspired by the way that I live it out. I want the church to benefit from my suffering. I want you to see it. I want you to learn from it. I want you to benefit from it. So when your time comes, you'll look at me just like I looked at others to say, well, I saw Paul persevere, and I have what he has. He's just a jar of clay. He's already made that clear. But the treasure that he gave us, I got too. Doesn't it help you when you look around and see your brothers and sisters persevering? Doesn't that help you? Doesn't the church benefit from that? I don't know about you. I still can't get out of my head, and this has been years ago now, watching the Coptic Christians be beheaded on the beach. I've never forgotten that. And you know what I thought? I'm one of them. Look at these guys. Look at their family saying, we consider it an honor that our loved one could have their head cut off for Jesus. And when I, I, I still see their faith. And many others all over the world, and many others in the in the history of the church. And he says it benefits the church, the consideration of the glory of God that I'm actually glorifying God. Can you and I take this teaching, and can we can we apply it to our lives? And the next time we find ourselves in difficulty or we see something bad coming, can we get to the point where we can say? I am going to to rest in the fact that God's going to be glorified by this. To God's glory, I suffer. To God's glory, I have difficulty. To God's glory, I persevere through this. Because God's going to be glorified by my suffering. God's going to be glorified by my difficulty. I can't wait to see what he's going to teach me. Don't miss the teaching. Because you certainly don't want to have to be put through it again. Glean everything you're supposed to from it. And Paul says, that drives me. 16, 
So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know what he says, you know what else motivates me? Eternal life. I read that at the graveside back in 1 Corinthians when he's saying, he's trash-talking death. He's, he's quoting from the prophets, oh, death, where is your sting? Hey, we, what we're wearing on us right now is perishable. We must put on the imperishable, 1 Corinthians 15. This is him going back to that again. He's bringing up that point. I think about eternal life. My body might die, but due to redemption, the spirit within me will live in eternity. The outward man is dying, but the inward man has been made eternal. Somebody say amen to that. Guys, As I joke around a lot, but don't you feel it? The outward man is going away. But my question is, how's your inner man? How's your inner woman? When I say man, I mean mankind. How is that? Is it being fed? Is it being fed? Is your spirit being fed? Is it, is it more healthy and stronger than it's ever been? We spend so much time trying to keep our outward man healthy, maybe we should concentrate on the same commitment to the part of us that's actually going to be eternal. You can pop all the vitamins you want to. You're still going to die. But, you're, but, you're, but your spirit is eternal. How's it being fed? How's it being taken care of? And that's what he's saying. That's another thing that drives me. The body may be sick and weak, but the redeemed soul is vigorous. I love this. Listen to this line. This is from John Phillips, one of the commentaries that I read on this great letter. Wicked, this is good. Anybody got things so you can write this down? If not, go back and catch the archive where you can write it down. Or cheat off somebody else in here that's, that's actually writing it down. Wicked men grow worse and worse. Men of God grow better and better. Wicked men grow worse and worse. Godly men grow better and better. And that would apply to godly women as well. What else is motivating Paul? And we'll wrap up today. 17 and 18. The hope of eternal life does keep us going. The afflictions are just working us to heaven. He knows where the journey is going. He knows its final destination. Have you ever been on a destination to somewhere and the trip gets a little miserable and you say, but well, I know where we're going. I, th I thought about that even back in the summer when Sherry and I had spent two weeks apart when she was in Israel and I was going to join her in France. And I absolutely hate to fly internationally. I hate to be on airplanes and I hate airports and I hate every part of it. But the whole time that I was on that part, I said, but I know what my destination is. My de destination is back in the arms of my wife. So I will, I will, I will work. Every time I'm on this part, bad part of the journey, I'm going to think about where I'm going. And so what that, what that is is for us to realize where we're going and the afflictions that we're going through right now are just working us to heaven. The things that we're dealing with are temporal, but the, where we're going is eternal. These earthly afflictions are light compared to what? The glory of God in heaven. They're light compared to that. What's temporal is light compared to what's eternal. What did Jesus tell you? He said, I wouldn't be all that concerned about people that could just kill your body. What I'd be concerned about is my Father in heaven that could damn your soul for eternity. I'd be worried about that. That's going to be a much longer journey. Right? 
Every time, every time I start work, working on it, and I'm trying to do better, and I know I'm upset Terry, but I'm, I'm getting better about working out. I like doing it more than I used to. Terry gets mad when I talk about negative about working out. It's not, I, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not that enjoyable to me. But the end result is, the end result is. Now I will tell you this: I do look at the clock and go, "All right, I've got one hour. <laughs> I can do anything for an hour." You know what I mean? So, uh, so anyway, but 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 you know what I see though. I, I see the results. I see the results of it. Just as we see the results of our spiritual life through suffering, I see the results of, of sacrificing and, and, and putting my body through suffering to get it stronger, to get it healthier, to get it better. It's the same thing with the spiritual life. They, they mirror each other quite a bit. And, uh, and so he's saying, look, when I think about where I'm going and I'm thinking about what's next, he said, I love this. Heaven is exceedingly heavier, more weighty, it's more solid, it's more secure than this earth will ever be. Do y'all really believe that? Do y'all really believe we're going, do y'all believe, that, please stop believing this is where we are right now is eternal. It's not. Do y'all realize how much better what's next is? For the redeemed. Not, now, for the unredeemed, it's, not, it's worse. For the unredeemed, this is the only heaven they're ever going to see. C.S. Lewis covered that. But for the redeemed, this is the only hell we're ever going to see. And it can be like hell. But, but, but that, the key is, think about, but, but listen, don't just say it. Don't just nod. I want you to think about it. I'm telling myself this. I'm not being mean to you. Because sometimes we say things, but we really we know it's the right thing to say, but is it really how we live? Are you and I really living our life like we think that heaven and being in the glory of God is more secure, more solid, and has more weight than anything that could possibly ever happen to us here on earth. Amen. That's how we're supposed to live. Because you know, that's what Paul says, so I'm suffering in this earth. This earth is going away. And so is my suffering eventually. For the redeemed, we are not trying, I love this, some of y'all about to get fired up on this. Let me tell you what Paul is saying at the end, and we're putting this all together in 17 and 18. Are y'all ready for this? And if this doesn't fire you up, you know what he says? Because of everything that we know about affliction, because of everything I know about suffering, because of everything I know about what it costs to follow Jesus, I'm not trying to sidestep it. I'm not trying to avoid earthly affliction. What I'm really focused on, Paul says, I'm not trying to avoid earthly affliction. I'm not trying to avoid earthly trouble. I'm trying to avoid eternal ones. I'm trying to avoid eternal affliction, eternal difficulty, eternal hell. So I don't sidestep the temporal. What I'm trying to make sure is that the temporal prepares me to avoid the eternal. I'd much rather have temporary affliction than eternal affliction. And this temporal affliction seems to keep me out of the eternal affliction because of all the benefits from it. So I know that following Jesus, I know that being his is going to bring me difficulty. And since I know that and I'm committed to him, I don't try to avoid it. And I don't go looking for it. 
but I don't try to avoid it either. And I'll be honest with you, just shooting y'all some of y'all straight. Some of y'all, I've been there. You will not take the next step in your faith because you know it's going to bring you trouble. And you want to stay up in the stands and you don't want to get on the field. Because you don't want the persecution. You don't want the difficulty. You want to stay out of the fray and hope you've done enough that you're still going to go to heaven. I will warn you about that because I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's a saving faith. Because there's something still not quite there. There's something in the faith that's not quite there. You're not all in. And when, when Jesus says that, 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 that we are to leave faith in ourselves, and, and, and when Paul says that, that you confess Jesus as Lord, no one is your Lord that you partially go under the authority of. You fully go under the authority of. You don't partially do it. So if you partially repented, and you've partially made him Lord, then neither, you've neither repented or made him Lord. And that's the reason why everything feels a little odd for you. That's why this message doesn't seem as clear to you as it does to, to others. Because once you go all in, come what may. If, if, if I'm being persecuted and I'm in affliction because I'm either trying to be sanctified or the opposition to me from the world is because of my devotion to Jesus, so be it. If something costs me because of my devotion to Jesus, so be it. Because you know what? I, I might have lost that, but guess what I have? I got Jesus. And so Paul is making it very clear that all this comes with it. But as long as we're preaching the gospel and we're living out the truth then take all these things he's mentioned today, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and let's now apply them to our lives. And assess, never stop assessing, where am I in my devotion to Christ? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these powerful words. Uh, three weeks ago, I was so excited about sharing this with my, my brothers and sisters all around the world. But in your perfect timing, you, you, you delayed that till today. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some of them I can see, some of them I can't. But I trust you that this message is delivered on the day it was supposed to, at the time it was supposed to, under your perfect authority. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Strengthen us when we're weak. Weaken us when we're strong. Refine us, Lord Jesus. May people watch the way we live and see a devotion to you that is unexplainable. Thank you for the teachings. Thank you for the peace that comes with knowing that no matter how bad things may get here, all this is temporal. And what awaits for us far exceeds it. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.